We're back. Sorry, folks. Took a week off from podcasting after my escapades in the city of Portland at PK85. Needed a little time, Brad, because that was a lot of basketball to digest. And there was so much happening so fast that we just kind of were like, all right, let's let's let Kevin sleep for a night and let the, uh, let the schedule sort itself out. And then we'll do a mega cast the following week. So here is the mega cast. After a week of gambling on basketball over at BovadaSportsbook.com and watching a ton of games, Brad, how, how are we feeling right now, my man? I mean, I was I was watching the UNC game today, and they put up on the screen that they lost in quadruple overtime or whatever to Alabama. And I watched that whole UNC-Alabama game. I had completely forgotten about it until they put it on the screen. Uh, that's just how much how much stuff happens every day. Yes. It is it has been crazy. Um and, and we talked about it in the preseason, right? Like we looked at this stretch of schedule really from Champions Classic through the Today. first weekend yeah. in December, and we're like, holy cow, this is going to be a monster and a half. I mean, this is gonna be special. And it's been fun. We've learned a lot. I think at the same time, we've we haven't learned that much because there's been a lot of kind of confounding results. You can't overreact. If people are yeah. already trying to take victory laps, there's been yeah, I, I, there has been a lot, and this is not because of a conversation I had with Jim Root, who I think is generally right about the about his point about uh, Creighton and um, preseason, uh, everyone following each other in preseason. What's the word for that? Groupthink? Groupthink, yes. Preseason groupthink. Sorry, it's been a week. Um, I think Jim is generally right, but there was a lot of people like, see, Creighton sucks. And I was like, I don't know, Creighton beat Arkansas like Last eight week. days, like, like 10 days ago. They just played Texas even on the road. They played Texas even on the road when they didn't ago. make any shots. I mean, they, didn't, they didn't make any shots, so they nearly beat Texas. Like, I didn't watch today's Nebraska-Creighton game, um, but that was the death knell for the Big East. That was it. They're done going to be a four or five bid league at, at most Creighton. Now, instead of getting like a two seed, it'll get like a five, a four or five seed, um, which is, is going to screw up the middle. It's going to cost the middle a bid. The fact that Georgetown, uh, I don't know what Georgetown's doing. I The uh, Georgetown fan pages keep on posting clips of Primo Spears's defense i put defense in air quotes right there he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off just doubling randomly and getting burned um so the the, the bad bottom with georgetown who's legitimately talented depaul missing their two you know they they need their rim protectors on Genda, the best player and you or i they're hurt i mean the uh, big east is done stick a fork in them it, it, it's a three Three conference race in college basketball, basically, now with the Big 12, SEC, and Big 10. It is. The Big 10, I mean, has just been a monster. And it just keeps getting better and better. I mean, even Nebraska beating Trayton is, like, a huge deal. I mean, that's, that's an amazing win for Nebraska, who has not done anything to destroy its resume. Like, Nebraska... Derek Walker was out for the first however many games. He he definitely they wasn't lost, there. For they the lost their game. first three high major games, but they like have not destroyed the resume. Um, they were 
that game was wild. I mean, I was, I was watching, I, I turned it on with like eight minutes left and it felt like I was watching Wyoming last year. Sam Greasel, the six, seven point guard, just posting up every possession, walking, walking his man down into the paint. Like he's Hunter Malnato, run up at 18, 12 and seven, which is a very Hunter Malnato game. And then Derek Walker was terrific. So great win for Nebraska, great win for Hoiberg. Could be a job saving win on the road in Omaha, but yeah, we've got a lot to sort out. I don't think there are a lot of truly elite teams right now. I think even Houston, there's some holes to poke in. I think no, they're, they're not an elite team. Come on. There, there, there has been there has been this kind of like groundswell. Um, I think after all the tournaments, because Houston wasn't in one, that like yeah. yeah, nobody's nobody's really that good except for Houston. They're really elite. And the analytics do say like even like I think T rank without preseason baked in still has Houston number one. I could be wrong about that. I'm going to check that now. But they're they're right up there. So the numbers do say they're really good. But, like, we should, like, note that this team just, like, nearly lost on a neutral Sam Aries, nearly lost at home to Kent State. I know they had the flu, but whatever. Um, you know, like, I, I, I am not – I'm not necessarily convinced that Houston is the head and shoulders above the field that everyone wants to make them out to be at this point. Well, here's the thing. If you put a gun to my head on – I guess it was Thursday afternoon, and you said, who's the number one team in college basketball? I would have told you Arizona. They go out, lose to Utah. Well, Utah might be a little better than we think, but that's still yeah. bad. Loss. I think they're probably an NIT team. I think Utah's yeah. a little bit improved. Craig Smith can coach. We know this. We've talked about this on the show several times. This guy is a miracle worker. It was only a matter of time. But that result was still stunning. Neil, there's... There's the Houston contingent that's kind of based on the preseason. But if you had asked people on Monday, a lot of people would have had Baylor as like a top five team, you know, and then Baylor goes out and gets crushed by, by a hot shooting Marquette team. Um, so they have a fact that Houston didn't play in a big tournament um, and they've had some. I mean, like they didn't dominate St. Mary's or anything. You mentioned the Kent State game. They don't they don't look overpowered. It's more of just people sticking with the preseason ranking, which, which is a pretty good strategy. You know, we see how reactionary these rankings get. Um, you know, people talking. You know, um, everyone wants to remove UNC from the rankings. It's very clear that they're they're just waiting for that opportunity, which which may have come this afternoon um, to to give you that I. I told you so. They're even worse than last year's UCLA team, um, w- which was the common preseason comparison. But, like, yeah, UNC's lost a bunch of games. But how are you honestly going to say that not having their best player today didn't matter? Well, why don't we why – don't, why don't, so, so we're talking about elite, elite teams, who's good, who's not, the last two weeks. And I've been on the road a bunch. You've watched a bazillion games, Brad. Um why don't why don't we start and focus on UNC? Because like you said, four game losing streak, it is you know, it is officially like complete disaster territory nationally. That's the narrative, right? They've lost four in a row. Yeah, they yeah, Baycott didn't play. Who cares? Nobody defends. Nobody does this. This team's so bad. This team was. Why why did anyone think they'd be good? It's really something. I mean, first of all. Why did anyone think they'd be good is just a ridiculous opinion. 
like it it has to matter that they're best players. It's the same thing with the, with with Nova, where it's like <laughs> Nova sucks. It's like yeah, they suck, but like how can I look myself in the mirror and say I know that Villanova sucks when Cam Whitmore hasn't played yet? Also, yeah. also, also, like look, even if North Carolina didn't do anything in March, even if North Carolina had blown that game against Baylor, right? Second round game, they beat Marquette, they lose to Baylor. North Carolina would have been a preseason top ten to fifteen team in the country. Bring back four, bring back four starters, add a top transfer, have elite talent. They weren't terrible last year, right? They started. They would have gotten the same treatment that Creighton and TCU got. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would argue they'd have been more equipped for that for that rank. Like, like everyone is so, and, and this is really what I wanted to get to with Carolina. Everyone is so hell bent on comparison with Carolina to last year's team. Oh well, it's Pete, Pete Nance and Brady Manick and this and that. Oh, you know. They're they're not that good. They're not defending like last year's team did. Whatever. Yes, last year's team is a good template for what North Carolina can be. But North Carolina's problems right now have no, almost nothing to do, in my opinion, with this year versus last year. It has to do with the fact that Caleb Love doesn't want to defend. It, it has to do with the fact that R.J. Davis has not made the step that we saw some of those moments a, a year ago. R.J. Davis has regressed. He's not shooting the ball well. Uh, he shot he said 37% for three last year. He shot 30, he's at 26 right now. His assist rate has dropped. He hasn't been as dynamic with the ball. I think in the preseason, you would said RJ Davis was one of the five best point guards in college basketball. He has not played like that this, this season. I think I had him in the preseason as like the 12th best player in the country, which in terms of guards, for me, just put him behind, I think, Sasser and, and Nick Smith and Keontae George. And, you know, he certainly hasn't stood out as that type of player early on. Um, and then the whole Caleb loves back to Jack and a million shots. And I saw people saying today, oh, they, they didn't have an assist, you know, for the first th- 30 minutes or whatever. Um, and normally with that roster, that wouldn't be a huge deal because that could mean Armando Baycott just feasted on the offensive glass or feasted on, on, on the block and dominated the post. Um, but when you had Nance playing the five and you, you were small, that's that's a team that you would think would be spreading it out, moving the ball, getting some open threes off some driving kicks, off, off some skip passes and whatnot. Um, but Virginia Tech was, looked like the better team. I mean, look, and I'll say this too. I could live with all the Caleb Love shots, right? All the ups and the downs, the inefficiency and the wildness offensively. I, I, I'll, I'll live with that, right? As long as he's going to give me something defensively and something with his out of the ball, he's got to work at least, right? Like he's got to, I can't watch Caleb Love just refuse to fight through another, another screen. I can't watch Caleb Love refuse to move without the ball offensively, right? Caleb Love, you're going to live with the ups and the downs of him. That's part of the experience. Right. North Carolina rode with it last year. Right. I mean, look, they they go to a championship game because of his games against UCLA and Duke. They lose in the championship game, arguably because of the shots he took against Kansas. That's part of the that's part of the deal with Caleb. But what can't be part of the deal is a seemingly lack of effort everywhere else. And that's where they need more from him. Right. Like when I look at this team, I say, what's the problem? I say, well, there's no depth. The same issues with the bench have come come around yet again. 
Their, their, their bench minutes right now are 359th in America. And when you ask Hubert Davis about it, he shrugs and says, well, it's early. Um, their guards have not played an elite level, and we know they can be elite guards because they've shown it before. And there's just not necessarily quite a cohesion or a togetherness. And again, all these results are understandable. Right? They lost a four-overtime game in Alabama. Today's game was was even winnable. I mean, that's a road game. Like, in the preseason, you probably penciled in, like, road game in India. It's a hard game, right? Like, especially if they're not just a number one – if they're not number one, if they're just an elite team, right? An elite team will lose on the road to Indiana. An elite team might lose on the road to Virginia Tech. An elite team might lose on neutral to, to Alabama. And look, an elite team might lose to Iowa State when Caleb, Caleb Grill hit seven threes. It's the fact that it's all happening at once that's concerning – there's clearly stuff to work through defensively. There's clearly stuff to work through with the backcourt. I think they're going to be okay. The question is, like, what does okay look like? And what does this resume look like? Because Jeff Goodman pointed this out. Like, they do Ohio State on the 17th and Michigan on the 21st. After that, like, where, where, are, they making a, where are they making hay? The uh, top of the ACC is pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, so you get two against Virginia. You get two against Duke. You get one more against Virginia Tech. You already lost to them once. I believe you get one more against Virginia Tech. They, they may not actually get that. Let me check that. To make sure. Miami's pretty good. Miami's okay. They do not get another game against Virginia Tech. Um, like, like, okay, so, but, like, let's go through their, like, their remaining schedule. They have, 20, they have 22 games left in their schedule. How many of them are against current top 75 Ken Palm teams? Well, the, if there's NC State, if there's Wake Forest, I think Clemson might be in there. Eleven of their games, so only half their games are against top seventy-five Kemba. I mean, that's that's is is that going to get them a number one seed that we said in the preseason? No, they would have to win like every game. Four, the rest they of might the be a four seed though. They might be a four seed or a five seed. They could be even lower too. They could be like an eight seed, like they were last year. And if they're an eight seed, that's a humongous failure of the season. Absolutely. I mean, it was a failure that 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 they were an eight seed last season. Absolutely. So, I guess my question to you would be this on Carolina: Do you think this thing gets fixed to the point where, on March first, we think of this team as one of the ten to fifteen best teams in the country? Because I think that's how I would define. I mean, look. The expectation with this team was championship robust. They're never they're never gonna live up. Like March will determine that. But from a pure this season and this season only, from a big picture standpoint, anything outside the top ten to fifteen would feel like a massive disappointment in terms of just team quality. Do you think on March first you will think of Carolina like that? Or do you think these issues will persist? And assume Baycott's fine. I think by March 1st, I think we'll be talking about North Carolina as a disappointment. It's funny you mentioned the bench because, again, a lot of these schools that we applauded their depth in the preseason and a lot of it coming from highly ranked recruits, their, their benches are kind of useless. It's bizarre. You look at UNC. And now, DeMarco Dunn is hurt, but I'm not really sure – DeMarco Dunn would count as a uh, as a positive bench piece. But we're talking about UNC's bench is not very strong. It's littered with top 50, top 75 recruits. We're talking about that with Villanova, where they have 
like Trey Patterson was like a top 30 recruit and he's completely useless in his third year at they haven't at, even played Nana and Joku so what top 75 he was like top 100 I think but yeah he he, he gets like two minutes he every other game plays. yeah they they were playing Brizzy and he was horrendous. Now that Whitmore's back, Brizzy got pushed to the bench and they yeah, I, I felt bad. Angelo Brizzy caught a stray for me on Philly 68 after dark because I was on the show Saturday night with Patrick Young and Rob Doster. And Doster asked me about the uh, impact of getting Whitmore back. And I said, well, it meant they didn't have to play uh, Angelo Brizzy anymore. And Doster just like lost it. But it's I true. Mean, it's true. Like, it's 100% true. Like, His defense might- was, was horrible. Brizzy may eventually was so bad, I was begging for them to put Chris Archidiakono in the game. Yeah. Brizzy might eventually be a, a high major player, but right now he's not. I mean, I would say that, but like, why? Why are these recruits? We mentioned UNC. We mentioned Villanova's highly ranked bench. I mean, I'm looking at Gonzaga right now. Um, now Ben Ben Gregg is showing some life. Malachi Smith is showing some life, but they have three or four other top 100 recruits doing nothing on the bench. I'm um, not sure if Caden K- Perry's hurt or not, but like Efton Reed's doing nothing. Hunter Salas is playing a little bit, but he wasn't super impressive against Baylor. Um, it, looking at Kansas, their bench has not been great. Um, outside is a little bit from Pettiford, but Pettiford's hurt now. Um, you know, all, all these teams. I wonder if it's like a like a confidence thing or like the, these. These guys are so buried, or I don't know. I I I can't explain it, but these benches that are filled with super highly ranked dudes that should be a strength of these teams are actually looking more like a weakness. North Carolina is cheap among them. I mean, they're not. I don't. I don't even know if it's a weakness as much as it's just not a trust factor with Hubert. Like Hubert doesn't. Like Puff Johnson can play. Like, why isn't Puff Johnson playing? I mean, Seth Trimble was on the U18 team. And statistically, he's been solid. Like, Styles they, played a little bit last year. Tyler Nickel was considered to be one of the best shooters in this incoming class. You got to first run today. Yeah, I saw him. Had a nice move for a finish in, in, in the first half. Um, yeah, all, all these teams, it's kind of crazy. Absolutely. But... Yeah, Carolina's got some stuff to fix. I would not like we'll see we'll see how these next two games go. That Ohio State game on the 17th will be a big statement either way because North Carolina should have no problem with Georgia Tech and should have no problem with Citadel regardless of who plays, regardless of where they are as a team right now. Both games at home. I think this is honestly the perfect stretch they need right now. Right? They need two get right games and then go play two um Two very winnable games against Ohio State and Michigan, against good teams, but winnable games, um, and see where the chips fall from there. So that's the Tar Heels. Um, you were at Baylor Marquette. Did you want to touch on Baylor's t- tumultuous week? Yeah, Baylor's got some stuff to fix. This is not a elite Baylor defense. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're very small. They're very small, but I, 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 I almost don't think that the guard defense is the problem. I think so much of their defense, when you're playing such a strict no middle, so much of their defense is predicated upon their bigs being able to um, execute the game plan and also 
be able to communicate. And I think particularly when Flo Thamba's off the floor, and Flo was never the good defender of the group, right? It was always JTC was the better defensive player. But when Flo's off the floor, especially, OG Awuna and Caleb Lohner are just getting destroyed. I mean, OG Awuna got killed in the Marquette game defensively. And honestly, it was the reason I was surprised to see them beat Gonzaga, was I just thought that what Timmy could do to them with, with the way he's able to slip screens and put teams in, in ball screens, I thought would really make life difficult. And they were helped by the fact that Nolan Hickman didn't play particularly well. And obviously Hickman's a huge part uh, of, of a ball screen attack. But that was I was surprised after what I saw them do against Marquette that they had those struggles. But like this, this defense is not playing at a super high level right now. Um, I think I think that's a concern. I, I don't think of them as an elite team at this point. They're good. They're not great. Same with Gonzaga. Gonzaga's good, but not great. I mean, like, everyone's like that. <laughs> right. But, but like, when I think, I mean, like, I think UConn's better than Baylor and Mark, but Baylor and uh, Gonzaga right now. I think Purdue's better than Baylor and Gonzaga. Marquette had had Purdue on the ropes opening week in, in the Gavit games, and and now and now Purdue is lo- looking like a much much better team than they looked in that game. Um, I'll, I'll just I'll just add a couple more things on Baylor before we wrap up on that. Yeah, go for it. Um, Keontae George's mentality, I think, hurts them, right? Like, obviously Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer are both really good players, and LJ is a great shot maker. And Flagler can create a little bit for himself, can play some point guard, can play some off the ball. But even Adam Flagler is not just like a roll the ball out and make plays. He's not Davion Mitchell. He's not even Jared Butler. And there is just not a – there's not that like dog mentality with Keontae that they've had at that point guard spot. He's very kind of hot and cold. Seems sometimes like he cares more about his own stats than the game itself. Like there was a play in the Marquette game when they were down like 25 and he goes in, he makes a really nice kind of dribble move. He gets the rim scores and kind of feeling himself on the way back to the floor. Like you're down 25, bro. Like I'm not sure Keontae George is ready to consistently contribute to winning. And I think that's hurt them because this is not Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague. It's just not. And the other thing is that Jalen Bridges has been disappointing, right? I think the well, he's not very good. I yes. listen, listen. He, I, I guess the analytics loved him. I guess he had great catch and shoot numbers last year at West Virginia. He's just like a fine, okay starter. Um, and between but his, he doesn't, he doesn't doesn't really impact the game defensively. No, he, 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 he doesn't play with a lot of power. He, he, he shooting hasn't he really help, been there. He doesn't help you on the glass. Yeah, and he 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 doesn't handle the ball. Um, it's kind of floating out there. It's forcing them to play a lot more Caleb Loner than I would have anticipated. Who's not very good, but he looks exactly like Caleb first. <laughs> their body, their mannerisms, their hair. Uh, and they're both named Caleb, huh? Uh, but yeah, I, I I watched the whole Baylor Baylor versus Gonzaga game. They were they were bringing those doubles against Timmy, which really neutralized him. Where do, where do you stand on Gonzaga? I I think Gonzaga 
tomorrow I'm gonna make a a a ranking through through the NCAA tournament, right? To really put things in perspective. But I think Gonzaga is like a top 10 to 15 team. Um, their defense isn't great. We've mentioned their their guard play isn't great. Now Mal- Malachi Smith might be coming along. Uh, he played pretty well in this one. But Bailey was bringing that double against Timmy, which completely neutralized him. Gonzaga pushes ahead, I think, by like seven points or so with like two minutes left. Flagler hits like his first two shots of the game. Uh, Baylor pulls ahead and pulls it off. But, I mean, you mentioned Keontae George made some incredibly tough shots early in the game. Cryer kind of carried in the second half. Uh, Tomba looked pretty good. He plays with a lot of power. Uh, Missed some easy finishes, but... His speed and his, and his power is very, uh, very noticeable. Uh, but both both Baylor and and the Zags, I think they're somewhere between ten and fifteen. Uh, but I think a lot yeah, of teams are in that mix too. They, like Baylor and Gonzaga feel like four seeds right now to me. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, I I know I was, you know, I, I had I had bet on uh, I'd went on Bovada and I'd bet on. Gonzaga in that game because of the stuff I mentioned with Baylor's defensive struggles. And I think like what you pointed out defensively, some of the doubles they sent with Timmy, I think were helpful, but I think again, it's much more difficult. It's much more difficult for teams to be able to double Timmy if they're afraid of Nolan Hickman and they're just not right now. And they're not quite, quite honestly, how afraid are teams with Julian Strother? Because Julian Strother in the games that have mattered this year was just okay against Texas, was really good against Kentucky, was really bad against Purdue, was really good against Xavier, and then was just okay against Baylor. Like, they do not have the consistency from the supporting cast that they need to be a national contender, right? Nolan Hickman has just not – has had his issues occasionally with turnovers – uh, he's been up and down with his offensive game. He's not necessarily a threat. Uh, he's not he's not the dynamic ball screen threat, either passing or scoring, that Nembhard and Suggs obviously have been. Like, honestly, like I watch them a lot, and I almost feel like Anton Watson is the key to their team. Because it feels to me like when Watson plays well, this team has a chance to defend, has a chance to win the rebounding battle, has a chance to put things together. Um, there's a chance to put things together um, offensively when they're not playing smaller lineups, which I think allows them to be a little bit more balanced. I think that, I think when Gonzaga is good, it's because Anton Watson's good more than anything else. Yeah. I, I mean, he uh, played, played pretty well. Um, yeah. The, yeah, 13 and 13. Huge. I, I think for this front court though I think Ben Ben Gregg might be the the X factor because in, in theory he can provide a lot more floor spacing. There was one play where I think Timmy made this beautiful cross court pass out out of the double, and when he made the pass to to the opposite corner, I thought it was a wide open Strother. I was like, oh there you go, that's in. But it was Watson. It was a missed three. Um, but Ben Gregg providing that floor spacing at at, at at, at the four spots, pretty huge. But the the, the Watson Timmy thing is going to work fine. Um, yeah, Zags are not looking like the number one team that I had them 
in the preseason. But I, I mean, all, all these top teams, you know, we see, oh, so-and-so, you know, t- Team X has proven that they're not elite. Well, we're running out of teams that are, right? We're down to Purdue looks really good right now with the monster in the middle, Edie, uh, which which I had, I think, our last preseason podcast. And we said, like, wh- who are the teams we're most worried about not ranking in our top 25s? I was like, Purdue, because Edie's a monster, and the whole lack of point guard thing might just be explained away with shooting and these kind of role players. And so far, so good. Um Purdue looked a little shaky against Marquette and then just went into the PK-85 and just dominated. Uh, and now they're sitting pretty, looking like the, the favorites in the Big Ten. So, yeah, let's talk about Purdue because Zach Keady had 31-22 and 22 today <laughs> um, and shot under 50% from the field, which is kind of funny to me. Um, one of the things that scares, scares me about Purdue, um, or should scare everyone else about Purdue, I should say, is... I think the thing that held both of us back in the preseason with Purdue, when we say guard play, I think what we're what we're really saying is, are they able to generate offense when they run a set and a team defends it well, right? So much of the offense is going to be, can you get how do you get the ball to Edie? How do you get the ball to Edie? And I think the question was, would this team be like the team that had Jahad Brockner basically? Would they be able to generate enough consistent offense outside of their big men to make it work? And one, Edie's better than – I mean, is Edie the best Purdue big ever in, like, the Painter era? I mean, K- Caleb Swanigan was was really good. I mean, all, all of them have been pretty good, right, from – I think Edie, though, is clearly better than, like, the Isaac Costas of the world. Yeah, he's he's way more dominant, and he's bigger. It's, 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 I think it's him or Biggie, and I think – I think, I mean, I think AD's going to win National Player of the Year if the award result was given today. So, um, I was watching. I, I, I don't remember what game it was, but I was watching a pretty recent Purdue game, and that they were kind of in offensive rut, and then David Jenkins came in and hit a couple big shots. I mean, well, that's so. So the point I was getting to with Purdue, obviously Jenkins helps things like that help, but the thing that really stands out. And it was a quote that Zach Eady said that kind of made everybody chuckle in the room while you're in Portland. Was he said, I, I asked about Braden Smith and his impact for, for them offensively. And he said, look, like, Braden's been so good when the offense breaks down, when our set doesn't work, and we just have to play in a ball screen. He's been just awesome in creating offense for us. Um, and I was like, the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, like the fact that they can just play pick and roll. Edie referred to it as we're able to score off of purely bad offense was the quote. <laughs> and it just it made everybody laugh. Like Painter kind of put his head in his hands. But it's true. Like their offense doesn't run the way they want it to run. And Zach Edie goes out there and sets a high ball screen for Braden Smith. And Braden Smith gets downhill and either throws a lob, gets to the rim himself, or dishes to a shooter. And that's really scary. Also, again, like, Zach Eady's been the Ken Palm MVP of every single game he's played this season. So huge. <laughs> Monster. So he's really good. Um, Purdue's really good. Uh, will they maintain this? We'll see. But they fixed some of the defensive stuff from last year. They just seem to execute at a higher level. So, 
I don't know. I, I really like this Purdue team. Where do you stand on UConn? I, I mean, UConn look great. They've won every game by double digits. They seem to have a great synergy. Um, especially, you know, we we were talking about bad benches earlier. Uh, but UConn's bench is, is really clicking. Between Calcaterra, who's just been on an absolute heater the whole season, Donovan Klingon has been like a second unit Zach E type of guy. Um, yes. I was watching that one was of my first thought when I when I watched UConn. It's like, why, why is that Donovan Klingon not at Purdue? I know, because <laughs> he's from Connecticut. That's that's saving grace. Um, but then even like Hassan Giara and one of the uh, things maybe the the Alabama game. He he made a huge impact off the bench, um, and then they they were playing Andre Jackson off uh, off the bench earlier. Now now he's back to the starting lineup. But I mean, Hawkins looks like an NBA player with his three point shooting. Sonogo has been incredibly efficient. Tristan Newton's had a few huge games. Caravan looks like a pro. He looks like a future NBA player. He does it all at that four spot. He shoots, handles the ball, he defends, rebounds. He is a a really impressive looking freshman. Um, so they just the, the pieces fit so well together. They have a star in Sunogo and a couple NBA players with Jackson and Hawkins. So they they look mighty impressive. I had them I think 14 or 15 in the preseason, but they look they look like they could be one of those one seeds up up there with Purdue and whoever else can can survive the most recent round of carnage. Yeah, absolutely. I, I grabbed a little uh, national title futures for them over at uh, at Bovada to try to grab uh, ride the wave because I think they're just the word that comes to mind with with, with them for me is complete, right? In, in an era where I think to a certain extent you kind of take what you can get in the portal, like you want to fill holes, but at the same time you just want to get talent and kind of piece it together. Every single guy does something a little bit different for for them all, on both ends of the floor. Right, like you look at this team and you see the shooting from, you know, like the bench shooting from Calcaterra and from Nahimaline who comes, who starts the game, but kind of just a rotation guy. Um, You see the um, steadiness from Caravan, who does a little bit of everything. You see the defensive instincts from Jackson, uh, the point of attack aggression from Hassan Diara, the ability to get downhill and draw fouls in Tristan Newton the shooting and the athleticism and the playmaking from Jordan Hawkins, uh, the two centers who are just so physically imposing, like every single guy fits together, fit, fits into his role extremely well. Everyone is so bought into their role, which I think is obviously such a critical thing. And now, Oh, by the way, you might get Samson Johnson back. Right. Like Samson Johnson was a starter for this team. Yeah. They're really excited about it. like this team could be a legit 10 deep. I mean, they, they have all the pieces to be really good. I mean, I don't know how Danny Hurley's going to coach like an Elite Eight game. He'll either have a coronary or get ejected. I'm not sure which will come first. But, like, that guy has built an awesome team. A t- team that really has not played a high-stress minute of basketball all season long. They've won every game by double figures. They've had a 95% or better win probability with at the at the five-minute mark of every single game they've played. Like, the, there was a few moments early in the second half against Alabama where things were nervy, and then they just took off and won it, right? Like, 
this team has great sportability because they can actually make shots. They shoot the three at a high level. They really share it. They're top 10 in the country and assists per made field goal, um, which is a very unique thing for a UConn team if, or, and really for a Danny early team. If you look back through Danny's career, he's been in this for 10 years now, um, a little more than that, I believe actually um, in his career outside of his first year at Wagner, They've never been in the top 100, and that's the statistic. Right now, they're ninth. There's just a different ability to share the basketball with this group, and I think it starts, honestly, with Sonogo. Because Sonogo's ability to make plays at the top of the key, his unselfishness, I think that has really unlocked a lot of different things for this, this UConn basketball team. That's why I think they have a chance to win a national title. I think you got to put Texas up there with them as well. I mean, they have a stifling defense. They have great guard play. Guys like Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter hitting timely shots. Um, Timmy Allen and Dylan Mitchell gives them two of the best combo forwards in the country. Um, I think if we're talking these dominant type, you know, future one seed sort of teams, got to give Houston a nod because of their schedule. Um, and then I think UConn, Purdue, Texas are three picks that are as good as anyone at the top. Texas has been awesome. I mean, they look like the best team in the Big 12 so far. Now, they haven't been tested quite as much, right? Especially they haven't gone away from home. And that's something we will see very shortly, right? They play Illinois Illinois on a neutral court on Tuesday. Um, They then have, um, obviously, Big 12 play where they'll have – some big tests. I, I do want to pump the brick just because the Gonzaga and the Creighton games were both on the home court. And we've both seen that with those two teams, maybe they're not ready to be elite yet, right? Maybe those wins aren't quite as strong as they were. But I think a lot of the encouraging signs that we saw in the Gonzaga game carried over to Creighton, right? This team can really guard. They can force turnovers. They can be aggressive at the point of attack. They've got length and athleticism on the interior. Um, and then on offense, they share it at, at a much higher clip than they did a season ago. They still aren't shooting great. Um, and, and really, outside of the Gonzaga game, when they were 13 of 33 from three, they've been poor from, from deep. They, they haven't had another game where they've shot over 33%. And in the Creighton game, they were only four for 19, which is not obviously a very good number. But they take care of the ball. They share it at a really high level. and I think when you have two point guards who can make plays for themselves and for others in Hunter and Carr, you're going to go a long way. Like, that's the reality. Like, if I had to fire up, if I had to fire up Bovada right now and pick a team to win the, the Big 12, I think it's got to be Texas, right? I, I mean, Kansas I wouldn't. Kansas, but. Yeah, I wouldn't discount Kansas's talent. I mean, between McCuller, Dick, and. Wilson, they had three uh, potential NBA players. They're they're a big man rotational figure itself out. Harris is playing pretty well too. Uh, Pettiford was playing pretty well before he got injured as well. So um, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if Kansas knocked off Texas. Um, and you know we were touching on on, on Baylor earlier how how they looked more of like a four seed, but I think the, the, the concern compared to these other big 
Big 12 teams is that they're smaller and they're not as athletic. Like they probably match up pretty well size-wise to Texas, but Texas is way more athletic uh, than that Baylor group. Uh, but they still have three really good shot makers and three-point shooters, you know, with George Cryer and Flagler. Um, Tamba's a good defensive center, so I wouldn't rule them out either. The uh, weird thing about the Big 12 is that their 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 middle and their bottom is looking way stronger than anticipated. You know, do you think that's the case? I mean, I didn't have Kansas State in my top 100. I I think they're clearly top 100. So so I think I would put it this way. I would say K-State has been better than expectations. West Virginia has been better than expectations. But I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have been a little bit worse. I think they're they're about even, I think. I mean, Oklahoma State is... I think they're sneaky high in, in the analytics, whether it be Kemp or Tyrion. But they're five and three with losses to UCF, Southern Illinois, and obviously UConn. But like, forgive me for not being convinced. But then Iowa State is way better than expected after Are losing. Are they way Jeremy. better than expected? I'm like 49th. They're 40th. They have they have one loss to UConn, and they beat UNC. That's true. Yeah, maybe they will be. I mean. They are really good defensively, and they're very good at continuing to kind of mess, muck the game up and get it get it sloppy. And I, I don't know. I I think West Virginia is re- the real surprise. Absolutely. I mean, I had K-State like 69th. Which, they looked good against Xavier. Uh, Jimmy Bell was like dominating the glass. And now, and now Xavier's not a very physical front line with Fremantle and Nunji, and they actually went Nunji and Drum Hunter down the stretch. Uh, I think Sean Miller might be uh, – Figuring out that it is a Fremantle or Nunji thing, I think maybe he <laughs> like um, Jonas Hayes before him, and what what Travis Travis Steele did not find out that that's not a great combo because they're they're not super physical and they're not very athletic, obviously. Um, we have West Virginia's guards look good. Toussaint made some plays. Stevenson hit some threes. Um, so they're looking like maybe they could be a tournament team. I had them down there with like Colorado and Georgetown as fringe NIT teams in the preseason. Um, yeah, they look good. They have a game against UAB coming up, which is a huge litmus test game for both teams. Yeah, that's 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 gonna be an awesome game. I think with West Virginia, the only thing I'd add with them that I've I just like. I don't know how sustainable it is that Eric Stevenson's going to shoot it this well. We have a lot of data that says he's not a great shooter. But, but all these shooters, man, one day they wake up. The shooters who can't shoot, they wake up one day and they're hitting 45%. Yeah. I, I, I texted this to someone else earlier in the week. If, if Gabe Kalsher can if Gabe Kalsher can have one good shooting year, why can't Eric Stevenson? The... the the origin for this, at least, you know, for me and when I started following this, was was Trevor Cooney for Syracuse, which Beheim would feed him minutes early, and he would just come in and just be like airballing, hitting the backboard on threes. Like, this guy's supposed to be a shooter. And by the end, he was like absolute lights out, like Syracuse the leading scorer. Yes. And now we could have Kalsher, we could have Stevenson. Um, you know, these guys can be popping up everywhere. I mean, not 
most most guys, especially most young players, are not going to be Sam Hauser, right? Yes. Who just showed up to campus shooting like 45% from three. Um, yes, yeah, so Cooney, as a freshman, shot 27% from three on three attempts a game. Then at, and then, actually, it was just his redshirt sophomore year, I think, where he uh, he shot. 38%, and then his, his, his last year he shot 35% and 13 points a game. And, and, and those were those were the Syracuse glory days. You know, that wasn't like these, these Syracuse teams now uh, that have been run into the ground. So we've talked about some of the, the higher-level teams. Maybe there's some kind of room for leeway here. Like, I know we – I want to see Arkansas with Nick Smith in a real game. But I think they have a chance to be like that one seed caliber team. I think Tennessee has looked really good at times this year. Ken Palm obviously loves them. Um, Virginia has struggled a little bit, come back to earth in the last week, but has certainly amassed a solid resume thus far. Indiana, I thought I would not overreact to the Rutgers game if I were in, if I were Indiana, right? It's a road game that games at the rack tend to not be very easy. They didn't have Hood Shafino. I think Indiana showed more good than bad this season. I think they're still going to be up and down, but I think they have a chance to win the Big Ten. I like Illinois a lot still, too. But I think the biggest surprise team that could be among the better teams in the nation, and we'll see if they stick, but that's Maryland. Oh, yeah. And I know you have thoughts on Maryland. Roster fits really well, especially now that Dante Scott has taken that step. He's hitting shots. He's that inside-out power forward that every team needs. You're putting him next to an athletic big and Reese. Backcourt filled with shooters. Just fits perfectly. Reese, I think, has been the real revelation for me. He's been so efficient. He's 77% from the field. He's getting to the free-throw line. He's blocking shots. He's eating like a solid minute load, too. Right, like he he gave them 29 minutes against Illinois. That's huge. He he didn't play great, but 29 minutes, like for a young big, but they'll give him that to minutes, especially knowing what they have at the bench. Right, like Emilian's been serviceable as the backup five, but certainly isn't is the threat that Reese is. Um, I think the thing that really should scare you if you if if you're a Big Ten fan that's other than Maryland. Jameer Young and Donald Carey are both shooting well under 30% for three right now. Donald Carey's an elite shooter. Jameer Young shot over 34% every year of his career. Donald Carey shot 39 last year on a high volume at Georgetown, shot 45% the year before on decent volume at Georgetown, shot 38% at Siena. So the most encouraging thing about Maryland is that their guards aren't shooting well. Well, is no, it not I'm, a good, right? I'm like, just joking because uh, in the in, in the Providence TCU game, King King McClure was like the bright side about this for Providence is that they haven't played well. Yeah, jeez, I mean nine games in the year, I kind of want my team to start playing well one of these games. I don't know if that's a bright side. I get what you're saying with the law of averages and whatnot. They're they're 8-0. and They just beat Maryland. They just beat Illinois. They blew out St. Louis and Miami. And their guards still haven't played at like a super elite level yet. That should scare people. 
Maybe Hakeem Hart will start missing shots, but till then. No, I mean it's a veteran group. It fits well. Talent level's high. Was it Scott and Young? In the preseason, I had them both. I had Young in the top 100. I had Scott right outside. Um, so the talent level's there. The pieces fit. You got the shooting, the length, the defense. Athletic bigs. Bench is okay, but it's, you know, Long, Martinez, and a million are giving them enough as kind of glue guys. They're probably one of those teams that their margin for error is very, very slim. Like, this looks really good right now, but they're one starting lineup injury away from being like, uh-oh, uh-oh, we're not very good, you know? Yeah. The train could fall off the tracks a lot quicker, I think, with this group than it would with other other high-level teams because it's like, not a new team, because it's kind of reliant on cohesion. But this is not – like, this is not Wisconsin from last year. Here, I'll – this is kind of switching gears. I'm sorry, but – um I, I had this pressing thought on oh on the Big Ten that I wanted to run by you as very a resident Big, Big Ten person. All right, so I, I think we're still in agreement that the bottom three in the Big Ten, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern? Yes, although right now I think there's a good case to be made that Minnesota's the bottom one yes. and Northwestern and Nebraska are 12 and 13. Right. Penn State 11, do, do we agree on that? I don't want to agree on that, but I can't say there's a team I would say is I but like I can't I can't list off and say, yeah, they're better than Michigan. Right. Yeah, they're better than you know Rutgers. I can't say that. So I guess yeah, they're eleven. All right, so that that leaves ten teams that I think I think clearly have tournament caliber rosters. Not all ten are gonna make it. But Penn State's kind of close too. Yeah, but with their lack of size and their reliance on on the jumper, um, I think these bigger Big Ten teams can bully them. You're probably right. I mean, you you, they you tweeted really right that if if Penn State's struggling this much with Manny Bates, how are they going to handle Trace Jackson Davis and Zach E? Yes. No, no. I think you're probably right, but like. I don't think it's crazy to say that that's a tournament team. No. I, Watching I, them I against Butler, I was them, like, all right, this is a tournament team. I think when you watch them, they compare well, I test-wise, with the teams you think of as bubble team tournament. Uh, losing both to Clemson and Virginia Tech are two other bubble teams. Yes. That was, a, that was brutal. That hurts. Uh, but, all right, so we got 10 tournament caliber teams in the Big Ten. Not all 10 are going to make it. Which team do you think misses? Do you think it's Michigan, Michigan State? I guess you could throw Wisconsin in there. I don't. I I, I think right now it's probably between um, Michigan, and Michigan State. Maybe Rutgers would be the only other X factor. They're they're healthy now though. They got McConnell and Mulcahy back. I agree, but like. I still don't think the ceiling is that high. Great also, defense. Given that they don't get 10 bits, I think it's possible they could get 10 bits. I, I think there's too much, too much needs to go right. 
to get 10. Right. Well, I think the other thing that makes it hard to get 10. 20 game schedule. 20 game schedule. And the bottom four are not teams you eat on, right? Like last year, you could look at your schedule and say, okay, we're playing Nebraska. That's a win. We're playing Northwestern. That's a win. We're playing Minnesota. That's a win, right? And you should have been able, if you were number nine or number 10, you should be able to go, you know, six and zero against them plus Penn State. This year, like Penn State's really feisty. Northwestern really guards. Nebraska just won at Creighton. And Minnesota could be something once they're healthy. No. I don't think they will be. Well, I mean, we were just talking Penn State. There's going to be a game where um, Purdue goes to Penn State and Penn State hits 15 threes and Purdue's on the ropes or something. Um, we saw, what was it last year where Purdue lost to Rutgers on the on the Ron Harper half-court shot? Rutgers beat it by Ron Harper, yeah. And, and, and that was a downtrodden well, Rutgers team at the I time. Think this is, I, think, I think this is like a 14-6 and six wins it year for the Big Ten. Yeah, because it's a very strong middle. And I don't, I don't even think, like, Purdue is overwhelming. Like, I think Purdue's good. But I don't think Purdue is, like, holy shit, this team's going to go 30-3. and three. No. But, I mean, Illinois is very good, clearly top 25. Yeah. We just talked on Maryland. They're, they're very good. Ohio State, probably back of the top 25 at this point. I mean, Iowa's shown some really impressive flashes. What am I missing? Um Rutgers has shown flashes. Indiana was who I was thinking. Yeah, Indiana, Indiana. They look very good. So, it's good. I don't. I I think the the Big Ten's at eight or nine bids at this point. Um, I think probably nine. And I think probably Michigan State ends up on on the outside. Okay, so how about so how about this? If if uh, if Bovada offered you a line on Big Ten NCAA tournament bids. At eight and a half, would you bet the over? I think I would because of yeah. the disappointing performances from every conference outside of the top three. And even if you look at the SEC, two two teams that certainly I had as tournament teams in the preseason, Texas A&M, does not look like it's going to happen. They look a mess still after the first month. And Ole Miss... Uh, just got handled by Memphis yesterday, and, and now maybe Mississippi State. You know their uh, defense has been insane. They have some huge dudes in that front court. Maybe they could fill a spot. Um, but like the Big East is going to be at four or five bids. The Big East is toast. Pac-12 is going to be at like three or four. ACC might get six, but that 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 bottom is landmine city. The A-10 is horrible. The American is horrible. The Mountain West, think think a lot of teams with smoke and mirrors right now in the Mountain West. So um, there, there are bids to be had, and the Big Ten is going to scoop them up. Let's look quickly at a couple of the teams that have been surprising. And whether we're buying them, whether we're selling them, kind of just go from there. Arizona State is a team that, Think about how different the narrative around Arizona State would be right now if they hadn't lost in overtime to Texas Southern. Because otherwise, this team has been really impressive. It would be old school November Bobby Hurley. I know. It's crazy. Like they're, the, the, the thing that's unique about this group is they're really guarding. Right? This is not just 
couple guards, gun up shots, see what happens, right? They're really defending and they're playing together, which is huge. I mean, they, they have some great defenders on paper on this team between Devin Cambridge, Luther Muhammad, Warren Washington. Maybe, and maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think the fact that Bobby Hurley's willing to basically tell Marcus Bagley to shove it is a sign of where this team's chemistry is. That he's willing to let his most talented player walk and really show him the door to maintain what they've got chemistry-wise. And I think it's a mature decision by Bobby Hurley because I'm not sure you ever win anything with Marcus Bagley. It's hard to know because he never actually plays. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, yeah, they're they they have tournament level talent. We identified that in the preseason, but the whole, but they've they've had it every year with the Bobby Hurley for the most part. I want to, I, I want to be skeptical. Exactly. And none of their wins are like overwhelmingly impressive, right? Like they blew out Michigan. I, I think Michigan, Michigan figures 20, it out in that age as well. Yeah, Michigan by twenty five is impressive, but Michigan is not overwhelming at this point. They, but they beat VCU on a neutral. They won a close road game at Colorado. They won a close home game at Stanford when Stanford kind of kept coming and made a comeback in the second half. And I think that's the other thing that stands out with Arizona State right now. This group is not – like, I don't think last year's Arizona State team holds on after Stanford punches them in, punches them in the mouth in the second half. I don't think that team last year comes back from down double digits in this, uh, early on against Colorado. Right. I think there's a little bit more toughness and edge to this Arizona State team. And it would be, I mean, it would be huge if this team could be a tournament seed for the Pac-12. I mean, it would be great. It would obviously be huge for Robbie Hurley as well, keep him off the hot seat. But just huge for the Pac-12 if if a team like Arizona State is able to break through. Because USC has looked disappointing, even with their great guard play. So, I mean, Arizona State ha- has an opportunity to – Take that step, come in third place while Oregon's still getting healthy. Um, I I think that they, you know, they could easily take that third place spot, go 12 and 6, and collect a 9 or a 10 seed or something like that. Um, they're going to have some pretty big litmus test game against Arizona and UCLA because uh, the rest of the league is kind of kind of dragging at this point. Um, yes. I mean, you say Arizona State's the third best team right now. Probably fourth best, either Oregon or Utah, right? I don't know. I mean, Frank Ketnang, I guess, might be done for the year for Washington. They've they've had injury issues. Washington State has had a ton of injury issues. So, Pac-12... Need, need someone to step up, and it looks like, at least so far, this new mix with Frankie Collins at the point is really paying dividends. Another surprise team, another team I think we've briefly touched on on this podcast is Mississippi State. Neutral win over Marquette, aging very nicely. Their defense is insane. Neutral win over Utah, so aging very nicely. Should we be surprised by this? I know we talked about it in the preseason that Mississippi State could be maybe a little bit of a surprise team because Chris Vance is a great coach. They just kind of have enough. But are they are they even better than we thought they could be? I think they probably are. Absolutely. Because this D 
defense is elite, which is not something that you would really know just by looking at the roster on paper. Um, and they've gotten good mileage from their mid, mid-major transfers, especially I think Horton and Reed are both making an impact. I know Horton has some huge shots against Marquette. Reed, Reed starting for them made big shots against Marquette as well, 15 points in that ballgame. He's taken a lot of threes, which I think is important for this team because they don't have a ton of shooting. And Tolu Smith's a monster inside. Cam Matthews is huge. He's like – Tolu Smith is the most forgotten about good player in college basketball. Like, no one has any idea uh, – well, it's a part of it that like, Mississippi State has just been, like, largely, like, irrelevant. Like, nobody really cares. Yeah. Tolu Smith is really good. Really, really good. He killed Marquette in the glass. Yeah. And this, this, this team is athletic and powerful – and they and their guards are, are playing well. I mean, it was kind of a mishmash of transfers, uh, but so far it's working. It's very Christians. Very Christian. Yeah. Um, trying to see if there's any other notable big surprises. Anyone you had in mind as a surprise team? Missouri's nine and zero, but they haven't played anyone. And 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 they've had some close calls. Close calls. Wichita Six, State. Seven against Southeast Missouri, four against Wichita on the road, whatever. That's the road game. Seven against Penn, six against Southern Indiana. Southern Indiana lost to Chicago State today. Uh, but somehow their their metrics are still super high. Southern Indiana? No, uh, uh, Missouri. Missouri. Well, I think they didn't start that far. They started at 41, and they're at 48 now. So. Oh, I just don't um, think they should have started nearly that high. Definitely not. I did want to also frame this to you, though. Um, so my leading theory in the preseason was that these anointed mid-major teams, it's not going to happen. They're not going to finish in the top 25. Now, Dayton, there's been some injury, uh, but they are nowhere close. Um, they're disappointing. Yeah, they're a bust. Wyoming, not a consensus top 25. I think some people had them in there. Nowhere close, even when EK is going to come back. I mean, they're they're so far off. I saw St. Louis play. Obviously, they do not look. I mean, they look fringe tournament at, at best. Um, I think they're a little bit than that. But and then San Diego State's been a little shaky. They're holding on for now. Um, I don't know if they've been shaky. They had Arkansas beat on a neutral court. They beat Ohio State on a neutral court. They came back from Maui and played one close game against the UC Irvine team that's very good, and everyone had a Maui hangover, right? Arizona lost to Utah. Um, Creighton lost to Nebraska. <laughs> Creighton lost to Nebraska. Like, everyone had a, had a Maui hangover. I, okay. I think you're being a little I – think, I, think, I think you're calling your shot a little too much on San Diego State. Oh, I mean, they're, they're slipping toward the back of everyone's South 25, and – but why? But why? Right? Like, what have they done? But why? Because teams are passing them. Because we're but, saying, oh, but, geez, but, we got to get Mississippi State. We got to get Ohio State. We got to get. San Diego State beat Ohio State by 11 on a neutral. Two and then o- Ohio State's going to beat Indiana and Michigan on back to back games. Right but, and, right. but that's not fair, right? Like, San Diego State's going to go 28 and 5, have a neutral win over Ohio State, a road win at Stanford, whether that age is whatever. Um, had Arkansas beat with 10 seconds to go and gave the ball away. Um, I mean, look, they get same. I mean, Marquette and Xavier have had everybody beat. Villanova's had people beat. I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it's severely unfair to say anything about San Diego state not living up to expectations. 
They're the minute they lose a conference game, they're booted from everybody's top. Yeah, but that's absurd. That's what I was saying the whole time. <laughs> well, no, but it's absurd to, to to operate that way. Is what I'm saying. I'm fine if you if we want to sit here and look at the mid majors that that legitimately do underperform, right? Like, um, Dayton, Wyoming, St. Louis. Right. Why St. St. Louis is I don't think it's underperformed. Um, but certainly like Wyoming, like Wyoming's underperformed, 100. percent they deserve all the all the hate. Well, Chicago's underperformed. They deserve the hate. Whatever. Um, last year, right? Some of the St. Bonaventure. They deserve the hate. They were not that good a basketball team. San Diego State's a legitimately good basketball team. They've proven it. San Diego State went to Maui. They played three games against really high quality opponents who will be in the top tier of their respective conferences in the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the SEC. And they played to the death with all. Arizona kind of pulled away late. But they, San Diego State led in the second half of that game. Okay. And so where I was going with this, do we have any early candidates so far for the mid-majors to, to be in the top 25? Because it's going to happen. There are going to be one or two guys that get in there uh, with with their crazy records, whether they deserve it or not, based on analytics or based on eye test, whatever. There will be one or two in there. So I'm um, gonna ignore I'm going to ignore the Mountain West contingent. I was interested to hear your take on how much it, is this smoke and mirrors or not in the Mountain West. Well, I think New Mexico is very legit. Like, I think New Mexico is a tournament team. Like, I, I don't know that we can say it's smoke and mirrors in New Mexico. They won on the road at St. Mary's, and they beat SMU on the road by 20. I'm, I'm not buying St. Mary's at all. Not at all. I mean, their whole, whole profile is propped up on a 33-point beatdown of a hampered North Texas team. It's true. That's fair. But but outside of them, I think College of Charleston is the one that's going to get in there at some point. Right. They beat Virginia Tech. They're only going to have to win. They're going to have a gaudy record. And you're just going to get to a point like it's, it's going to be like January 15th and like all the teams from like 2027 or from like 22 to, you know, 32 all lost. And you're going to be like, well, College of Charleston's 11 and one. Let's give them a shot. Right, it's like you you or should be ranking like a thirteen and five Mississippi State team or something or or Marquette, but instead you're gonna rank sixteen and one College Charleston. Yeah. But I mean, to give College Charleston credit, they've beaten a really good Kent State team, a very solid Colorado State team. They beat Davidson by twenty three. They beat Richmond. They beat Virginia Tech, who's a tournament team. Right, like they have legit wins. This is not just beating up on a soft schedule. This is not like the COVID year Winthrop team that people felt the need to talk about all the time that hadn't beaten anyone. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not suggesting, like, Oh yeah, I got to rank Southern Miss right now. I got to rank, you know, whatever. But I do think like, like uh, I have no, pr- like, yes. I, I think the, 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 we, we've talked about this on the show in the past. Like the idea that you need to rank like New Mexico 25th this week just to say you ranked them in major is preposterous. It's stupid and it's a waste <laughs> of Sean Paul. <laughs> it's a waste of the ballot. Love Sean. Sorry. Sorry, Sean. Yeah. You earned it. Um, gotta get. We, we gotta stop. I, I I think Seth Davis is the, uh, yes. the the biggest one here. Get these mid major teams out of here. Well, um, it's not that they have to. It's not that. Don't don't give them a pity vote. Right. If you rank a mid-major 25th, I'm assuming you don't actually think they're the 25th best team in the country. 
Right. Because I, I mean, even you know, we we were talking St. St. Louis earlier. I mean, Providence has been pretty horrible this year. Providence had St. Louis in the ropes. St. Louis did not get back at that game with you know an unbelievable showing here. You know, they didn't turn into uh, you know Steph Curry from uh, Beyond the Arc like Baylor Shireman at the end of the Texas game. I mean, it, it was a it, it was both teams were pretty bad. Um, plus, they got blown out by Maryland the day before. Uh, yeah, it, Maryland's blown everyone out. They played a tough roadie at Auburn. They beat Memphis. Like, but like the whole A10 is so bad. Like you, you were mentioning some of Carlton Col- Charleston's wins over Richmond and Davidson. I mean, they've both been terrible this year. The whole A10 has been pretty bad. Um, Saint Saint Louis is gonna wake up in, on February 1st with an insane record. College Charleston yeah, could, too. It's so yeah. hard in this in, in that league. Like, like, I just think, like, I think you un, you you severely underestimate, regardless whether the A-10 is, like, good or, or down, you underestimate significantly how hard it's going to be for St. Louis to, like, win on the road at Loyola Chicago on a Wednesday night in January. DePaul just did it. Yeah, and it took oh, – I mean, but that doesn't mean – Brad, I think you're missing – you're missing the point. Like, when you do it 20 times, you're going to win, like, 14 of them. Right? Like, like St. Louis is not going 17 – or is it an 18-game league or a 20-game league? I think 18, but – I'm pretty sure it's 18. Let me confirm that. It was 18 last year. So let's assume it's 18 again. St. Louis is not going to wake up 15 and th- – they're not going to roll out of bed and go 15 and 3 this week. There's too many, like, trappy games, right? Like, do you really, like... I, I mean, the, somebody's going to do that, whether it's UAB and Conference that. USA, whether it's St. Yes. Louis and the A-10, College but, but the Charleston. Level of league, that level of league is different. The CAA and the Atlantic 10 are not comparable. Even the Conference USA is not comparable to the A-10. Conference USA is higher than the A-10 and T-Rank right now. I don't care. The A-10 is the, like... A10 sucks. Oh my god. I'm just telling like you watch the A10 every single year, you know these results happen. Right? That's just the way of the world, right? Like you're you're gonna go on the road to UMass, who has like six high major players, and then you're gonna play George Mason at home. And, and George Mason's got three guys who would be starters for high major teams, and then you're gonna come home uh for, for your for a second give you your home stand, you're gonna play a Fordham team that's sneakily like 12 and 6. And, then, and and guards and then then you're gonna hit the road and go go to go go to URI and play on the road and maybe you're gonna beat URI because URI is pretty pretty darn bad. Um, but but then then you're gonna head up to Loyola uh, and you're gonna play a Loyola team that has a great home court advantage that has elite uh, elite athlete uh, Phil Alston at the four that is figuring it out offensively that won 25 games a season ago and went to the NCAA tournament like I don't know I. I don't think anyone like I. I don't think if you put like Joe Schmo bubble team, like if you put Virginia Tech in the AC in, in the Atlantic Ten, Virginia Tech would not go fifteen and three. I think you're holding to a standard that's just unrealistic. Really, like Virginia Tech just like lost to College of Charleston at Charleston, right? They're doing that two more times if they play in league play. Okay, but I, I mean, Kevin, we see this every year. It might not be the A10, it might, it might not be the conferences that I just rolled out for you, but there, there is going to be one or two teams 
It was UNC Greensboro one year. It was Illinois State one year. Murray State last year. Wofford. Yes. You know, there's going to be a team that just screw the margin for error. We're dominating out of nowhere. 100%. But I'm just, well, I get, but my point is that expecting that from what you're deeming are the anointed mid-majors is unfair, right? Putting a standard of, in order for St. Louis not to be seen as a fraud, they have to go 15 and three in the A-10 is preposterous to me. Saying that San Diego State should be ignored among the top 25 as soon as you take out, uh, as soon as they lose on the road at Utah State is preposterous to me, right? San Diego State has proven it. St. Louis has proven it. They played four high major games. They played one game where they were not competitive, and that was against a team that's been a wagon, that's beaten everybody, beaten them good, right? Like, I think the standard you're setting for these teams is unfair when you're comparing it to teams that get a gazillion opportunities, right? I, I'm just saying how it's been. No, no, I know. All right, let's 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 move on. I, you said you think New, New Mexico is real to the extent that they'll make make the tournament. I think that's an at-large team. Yeah, they're they have awesome guards. Morris Rudeze is leading the Mountain West in scoring right now, which is crazy. What about U, uh, UNLV or Utah State? Are they smoke and mirrors or for real? Haven't watched either enough to have a strong opinion. I would say both are good teams, but I don't necessarily think either is an at-large level team. Utah State's going to have an incredible WAB wins above all. There's a clean if if this was an RPI season, Utah State's RPI would be like off the charts. Oh yeah, every oh, all their wins are against like top 130 teams ish. So is New Mexico to be honest. Yeah, New Mexico. Someone when New Mexico released its non-conference schedule, I texted a Mountain West source and was like, "Did whoever made New Mexico's schedule forget that this is the uh, this is the net now, not the RPI?" Because they scheduled Southern Utah at home, Q3 but tricky as hell. South Alabama at home, Q3 tricky as hell. Road SMU, ideally Q2 but not a lock. Jacksonville State at home. That team competes for their league damn near every year. North Dakota State at home. They're down this year, but in general have competed for the league. Northern Colorado at home. Down a little bit, but again, usually near the top of the big sky. Road St. Mary's, okay, that's a real game. Like, Iona at home might be a hard luck Q3. Right? That's the worst possible schedule in America. Well, it... The, the the best the best thing really is to make an RPI schedule and then blow all those teams out. That'll yeah. that'll do wonders for your net. But New Mexico's not really blowing those teams out. No. The last couple of games they have, but early they didn't. And then just um, are you in it all to this Indiana State? Oh, I am in. I'm not, not maybe not as an NCAA tournament team, but I'm in in general. Their 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 coach was like the greatest. Division two coach there, there was right or at he least he's very good. Very yeah. good. He's the, the guy that everyone considers to be the great D two coach is ben Central McCollum. Missouri State or something. Yeah, and he's at a Northwest Missouri Northwest State. Missouri State, yeah. and he is like the John Wooden of Division two basketball. 
But Josh Schertz plays a very unique style. They're very, very well coached. Um, and they really should be 9-0. They blew they blew a game against UMKC. But otherwise, I mean, they've been really good. They run great stuff. Um, they're, I believe their leading scorer is uh, DePaul Blue Demon legend, Curvassier McCulley. I mean, that's that's the move. You get these guys who are like legit rotation players. Yes. At the high major level, you get them to the mid major level. And well, the thing that's really low. good about Curvassier is that he was a, an elite scorer at the Division II level, so you knew right. he could scale it up. Right. But he wasn't good enough to scale it up at the Paul. Right. He was like the seventh man. He hit a couple threes. Yeah. He's had he's had two thirty balls already for uh, Indy State. But how about your Siena Saints? Beat Florida State in a just a, a dominating performance. Florida State was frazzled. They kept on just unforced turnover after unforced turnover. Uh, and then they beat Seton Hall, putting a dagger in the Big East once again. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, Siena's a very flawed team. By by no by no means is Siena like a a wagon. I don't think of them as like, oh, well, that's a 13 seed. It's going to win a game in the tournament, whatever. But Carmen Masterell is getting the best, most out of his guys. JV McCollum is awesome at point guard. Like super dynamic. You watched him a little bit, Brad. You can you can en- endorse the fact that, that Mr. McCollum is as good as good of a low, low to mid-major guard as you'll really see. You guys should honor him on senior night. <laughs> Let me live. <laughs> But it is funny, like, uh, again, like, the, the difference of the, the mentality. Like, I've seen so many, like, like message board posts, like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to keep them? I'm like, do we have $100,000 lying around? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not even the CNS of the world. Like, you got to think, like, the Louisville roster is going to get picked clean at the end of the year. You know, some of these teams, I mean, look at Oregon State last year. Their, oh, yeah. their, their roster got picked through. Yeah. You can't have a down year. You gotta you gotta keep winning. Well, and and, and maybe and, and again, part of this is just how I've matured. But like, look, Seattle loses Jalen Pickett. He goes to the Big Ten. He's been awesome. They recruit JV McCall, right? Like, if JV McCall leaves, you recruit the next one, right? Yeah. Like, Seattle's lost to the portal in the last two years. Jalen Pickett, who's all Big Ten, Donald Carey, who was you know, arguably the best player on a Big East team last year. Um, Jordan King was one of the best scorers in the SoCon. Coley Rogers, who was an all-MAC player and is now sitting out at Wichita State because Carmen wouldn't sign a waiver. Right? Like, they lost some dudes. Like, if Javian leaves, okay, replace him. Like, like has lost all those guys and beat Florida State in Seattle yesterday. Or last week, excuse me. And the year before, they went – they finished over 500 and had a very real chance to win the win win the league in in, in the conference tournament until Anthony Antoine's ACL in the last five seconds of the regular season had a very real chance to win the league. Beat Iona, went two and zero against St. Peter's after losing Jordan King, Manny Camper, Jalen Pickett, and Donald Carey from uh, and over the course of two years. I mean, like, me, Camper didn't transfer; he just graduated. Like. You just keep flipping it. You just keep finding ways. And Karma's done that at a really high level. And I think as a guy that mid-major coaches should track and the, the job he does to kind of piece it together. Look, like, yeah, when JV leaves, like, guess who our best player will be next year? Michael Ely. Michael Ely is our freshman wing who looks the part. Was really good at 10 against Eden Hall. He's 
big, athletic, make shots. What else is going to be really good? The Irishman, Killian Gribben. Got him to walk on. He's going to be a scholarship player next year and will be a all-conference guy before his time's done. Like, you just have to be high-level evaluators, really high-level evaluators. Sienna's done that at a really high level. They're a good, a good model for the rest of the country. So it's my piece on the Saints. Should we go? Let's see. Where, where to next? Um, I, I alluded to the, the, the Big East is dead. The conference had the talent to get seven teams in the tournament. There was probably nine different teams that you could pick from to, to come up with that seven. Now it's going to be like four or five. Um, and, and even those teams have blown some games that are going to cost them some seeds. Well, do you think Villanova gets there? Vill- Villanova screwed the whole conference, really, because like if Villanova was Villanova, they'd be fine. Uh, but you know, Villanova's earned it. They can they can take it down here. Um, I think that they will not get into the tournament because the wins just aren't going to be there. And Villanova right now is like in the one twenties in T rank. The wins aren't going to be there, and the the point guard point guard issues look to be um, a little more. Serious than I anticipated. I thought Mark Armstrong would be able to step in, uh, given he started on the U18 team. Uh, he, he's still coming along. So I think Villanova is probably the fifth best team in the league, but I think they'll come short. Yeah, the Oklahoma wouldn't save their season. Right? But they had so many close losses. I mean, the Temple game, they literally blew. Right. But, if, no, but, but, if, but if they lose to Oklahoma and they're 2-6 and six, with nothing else to accomplish in the non-con, it's done, right. right. Um, so their season but, was saved by the fact that they found a way to get the one. But, like, you know, the, the Big East is still the fourth best conference in T-Rank because they covered all these spreads, but they lost these, you know, they, they just lost so many close games that they shouldn't have lost. Um, and now we're in a spot where it's going to be f- four or five. Uh, Marquette is pretty good. Their their offense is awesome. They're just small. Um Xavier is a little soft inside, but they have a super explosive offense. Sule Boom, much better than he's him. really good. He you you could make an argument he's their second best player behind Colby Jones. Absolutely. Um, and then Creighton Creighton will be fine. It's just they just kind of screwed whoever's going to beat them this year by de, devaluing that win. Um, and then UConn will be a title contender. Uh, but I mean, this this league had they had seven bids with with the roster construction. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to haunt them. It's going to haunt teams like Providence and St. John's that didn't didn't do enough in the non-con, or especially teams like Villanova. You know, asking these teams to go you know 12 and 8, 13 and 7 to get a bid that's just that's just too tough. And the bottom, I mean, how how could Georgetown beat this bad again? I mean, it, how can Louisville be basically a sub-300 team right now? That's that's one thing. Georgetown to, to potentially go go over again would just be would just be incredible. There's no chance to go over. They have to go over. They're gonna lose. They to can't the- win a game. Come on, that would ruin the whole season. They're gonna they're gonna win a game. The whole season is building to an 0-20, and the buyout being too big, and they got to have Patrick Ewing running running back one more time. You can't. You can't do it. 
I will say it is it is hilarious looking at how Louisville's dropped from 91 to 206 in Ken Palm and I'm <laughs> Started at 91, dropped to 103 after the Bellman loss, dropped to 112 after the Wright State loss, dropped to 123 after the App State loss, then to 138 after Arkansas, 154 after Texas Tech, 171 after Cincinnati, 186 after Maryland, and then 206 after Miami. They, I mean, they have, they're 0 and 8 against the spread. That's the crazy part. That Vegas usually, keeps trying. Vegas keeps trying to say, no, no, they can't be this bad. Yeah. And Louisville <laughs> announces, no, no, trust us, please. We are this bad. I promise you, we stink. I mean, not only stink. I mean, if a high major team in the non-con goes six and five, that's a disaster. Like the, the pitchforks are out, the torches are out. That is full-blown disaster. Six and five. Louisville's already 0 and eight. They're staring down 0 and 10. Louisville, Florida State should be heavily marketed on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another one. One and nine. That's like Stoppable out of this force. world. Stoppable force versus a very movable object. If if you remove preseason T rank. Louisville is 336. <laughs> they are one spot ahead of 1 and 6 Hampton. Jesus they have two Christ. spots ahead of 0 and 7 Houston Christian. That they're below Monmouth. <laughs> I mean th- this is like low major stuff. Like losing at home by 27 points to like an 8 seed caliber Miami team. What's Florida State and no preseason T rank? Well, at least I have to scroll a little bit. Um, so Cal is at 298, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Um, Cal is lucky. Cal is lucky that Louisville sucks this much to yeah. avoid a little extra heat. You know, not, there's nothing fun about making fun of Cal when Louisville's 0-8. Loyola Chicago 255, yeah. URI 253. Unless I missed Florida State, I'm still scrolling here. Oh, uh, 228, Florida State. They've at least played a couple close games. Virginia, yeah. But uh, that is, yeah. The the, the Louisville-Florida State game will be a lot of fun. They've at least played a couple close games. Virginia, yeah. But uh, that is, yeah. The the, the Louisville-Florida State game will be a lot of fun. The Louisville-Florida A&M game, if they're 0-10, would be exceedingly fun. Florida A&M is currently lower in in uh, T-rank. They're 361. No, so they're horrendous. Is... They they lost by 40 to Florida, 22 to Georgia, 26 to Miami. So <laughs> Miami was one point better against Louisville than they were against FAMU. On the road versus at home. That is incredible. Yeah, Florida A&M has not played a Division One team within 15 points this year. So they're off by 17 to Oregon State. I mean, but can you imagine the pressure those guys are going to feel walking into Florida A&M? With their <laughs> yeah. own temps? It's going to be it's Virginia's going to be the second half, half against UMBC. <laughs> like, get me out of here! Oh my god. I I think if they lose that game, they have to forfeit the season. 
Like they can't, they can't, they can't start zero and ten, lose to Florida and I and just keep going for twenty more games. Like they gotta just call it quits. That's enough. The, the question I posed to you in Louisville was zero and three, was take out what we know about how coaching, hiring, firing works, yeah. and what's acceptable and kind of morally just. Um, should 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 you fire Kenny Payne? I that that was at 0 and 3. I think I I I'll pose to you the same question now at 0 and 8. Should Louisville fire Kenny Payne tomorrow? Oh my God. I still want to say no, but like I'm becoming less confident in that answer. Like, well, I guess here's the question. Here's here's a better question. Like, what like what is the what is the standard where you have to fire him? Like, obviously, like if they go 0 and 31, you gotta fire him, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine going 0 and 31? They're like, no, we just gotta give him another shot. This is Louisville. I mean, this isn't Pat Scary <laughs> taking over Towson. Yeah, you're not. You're. You're yeah. not allowed to fire the coach after one year. Um, one in thirty, you'd have to fire him. Two and twenty-nine, probably at the fire. I think if he wins three games, he gets to come back. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, now this is the the <laughs> the points that Kenny Payne's agent is going to have to be making to the. Uh, Louisville AD. So when Pat Scary took over Towson, I think the year before they went winless, and then he won like one or two games in his first year. And now, and, and now Towson's top 100-ish. Well, so 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 so, I I I I know we're we're talking seriously, but I don't think it's nearly as fun as just making fun of Louisville for a little longer. So I know. I'd like, to discuss, I'd like to discuss the, the funniest possible timeline, which is that they lose to Florida State, they lose to Western Kentucky, they lose to Florida A&M, they lose to Lipscomb, they lose to NC State. And then on New Year's Eve, the 0-15 Louisville Cardinal go into Rupp Arena and they upset the Kentucky Wildcats. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I, that would be among the five funniest things to ever happen in college basketball history. I mean, them them losing to 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 Florida A and M could be one of the five funniest things they ever had. That's two. That's two. I think regardless of even if they're not on, like, even if they've won a, a game or two before then, Louisville beating Kentucky erupt this year would be one of the funniest things to ever happen. Because <laughs> it would cause like multiple connections, you know. Be great. I mean, pe- people are very upset with. With Kentucky's offense, there's not enough spacing, there's not enough this, you know, not enough that. Um, and I will say, you know, watching them against Michigan today, everyone besides Severe Wheeler and Oscar Shibway looked very cautious. Like, Wheeler just goes flying around, um, firing shots at the rim off one foot. Everyone else plays like they're afraid to make a mistake. Yes. Oscar's pulling up with some quick 18-foot jumpers off the catch. Um, and then guys like Jacob Toppin, there was one play where he caught the ball on the wing, should, you know, should be a rip, through, a quick rip through, one or two dribble and get to the rim. Instead, he like dribbled in place and then tried to do like a, um, like a Hunter Maldonado back down, 
You know, where it's like you're so athletic, just rip through in an attack. Um, but he looked very cautious. And even Frederick turned down some good looks. Um, but yeah, everyone, everyone I think needs needs to chill on uh, on, on, on on Kentucky and let their talent kind of show through. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to hit on on this podcast, Brad? Um, I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, I believe that's the episode. We will uh, we will talk to you all next week with more takes after a quieter week. It's finals week, folks. So make sure everyone passes their tests. Thank you. <laughs>